Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you. It's a special Monday. It's a two-for kind of Monday. Two really great men are on the show today. I didn't have tons of time with either of them, and so instead of giving you two short shows, we just put them together to give you two kind of unique conversations put together for one close to normal length show. Real quick, the music in the background, just a reminder, is the song Precipice by Creekmore that goes along with my book, Remember God. He read the book and then wrote the song around that. You've got to go listen to the lyrics. It's just incredible. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, all the places you love music. So let's jump into our first conversation today. Listen, my friend Tim Tebow, I adore him. I think the world of him, but he's a Florida Gator and I struggle. But I think he's a great dude. I really enjoyed our conversation. Glad to have gotten to chat with him for just a second. On the day that his new book released, the book is called This Is The Day. Reclaim Your Dream, Ignite Your Passion, and Live Your Purpose. Tim literally had a few minutes when he was driving, I think from one place to another or something. I mean, literally he just had like a chunk of time and reached out and was like, I've got just a hit of time. Come on. And so we jumped on the Skype line and got to chat for just a minute. So here is my conversation with the only Florida Gator that you will ever, well, that's not true because Eddie Koffeldt has been on the show. The only Florida Gator that actually wore a uniform that you will ever hear on this Georgia Bulldog show, my friend, Tim Tebow. Do you know who we shared that we need to jump in and talk about is um, My Life Speaks in Haiti, where you've done oh, your I Night love, to Shine. I love Mike and Missy. Right? Aren't they the best? I went down there like two years ago. Yeah, they're so sweet. How do you know those guys? Uh, they're based here in Nashville, and we share some friends here. And so I went down and spoke at a women's conference they had in Nepali. Nice. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. How many times have you been to their place? Uh, maybe three. Yeah. Um, with them, we've been in Haiti for a little while, and it was probably a year or two into our ministries there that we um, got to know Mike and Missy and My Life Speaks, and we just were, um, you know, there's so many nonprofits there, and, you know, they're not always necessarily doing the best thing, but when we found them, we are like, gosh, they're so awesome, and we just knew there were people that we wanted to team up with. Yeah, and you know what I've seen them do really well is they live there like they would live anywhere in the world, where they just invest in the neighborhood they live in. They totally do. They invest. They make it theirs. They love the people. They're um, so engaging with people. It's just it's awesome. Um, so how crazy is your whole day today? Do you just do media back to back to back? Um, yes, pretty yeah. much. It's, uh, <laughs> media pretty much till like, I don't know, five or six-ish. Oh, my gosh. And tell me about This Is The Day. I've read a little bit of it, but so I write books as well. And every book kind of, there's a reason that it's the right time for me to tell that story. Tell me why this yeah. was the right time for you to write This Is The Day. Well, um, I think there's a few things that happened in my life that um, really kind of pushed me towards this. Um, one of them was my dad got Parkinson's and yeah. it was just like, you know, I just wanted it everything in my life to matter, at, you know, after that and a few other things. I was on a plane where, um, someone passed away and then a few of our wish kids um, passed away and they just left such legacies. And um, even though some of them would be teenagers or, you know, it's just, it, it didn't matter their age to have importance or to have significance. And I just was around so many people that were, you know, yeah, would make comments like, you know, one day I'm going to do this or yeah. just share with someone. They're like, one day I'm going to get right with God or one day I'm going to go on a mission trip or, you know what? That sounds really cool. One day I'm going to really go after my dream. 
and and my thought was, are you kidding me? What does it matter if you if you wait till one day when you retire to start living out what's on your heart? You know, why would you wait and, and to live out what God has placed there to live out your purpose, to live out your calling? And I just wanted to encourage people that you're never too old, you're never too young, it's never too early, it's never too late to have purpose, passion, and meaning in your life. And you can find that if you're a third grader that's going to school and you're nice to a friend or you're nice yeah. to the kid that gets bullied or you're, you know, an old grandma that thinks, well, my best days are behind me. But no, you can still find someone to impact and find meaning in your day and find purpose in it. And, you know, I just wanted to have that life that when I woke up and my alarm clock went off that I was excited. I wanted to pursue life. I wanted to engage it. I wanted to attack it. I just didn't want to be that person that just got through it. You know, so many people, especially in sports, when it gets harder, you know, they have the attitude of, man, I just can't wait to get through today. And I just don't want to have that attitude. I want to encourage other people. I just don't think that's what God intends for us, to just get through the days. I think when we really think about, like, this is the day that the Lord has made, like, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in it. And I'm going to look at all the ways that he's blessed me and how I can be a blessing to those around me. Yeah. So tell me about, I mean, the day, the morning you woke up and went like, okay, this is more than just a change in my life. This is time for me to tell this story. Do you remember that day? Because I can imagine your dad getting diagnosed and that stuff happening on a plane. I cannot imagine someone dying on a plane. That is terrible. When did you decide like, okay, this is more than just about changing how I'm going to live? Well, honestly, it was um, when I actually came up with um, the title of This Is The Day, it was... um, Last year playing baseball and we were on a road trip and that morning um, we got up and we went to the gym early and um, we're there and I was honestly, I was so frustrated and irritated because I just, I couldn't just get a workout in. I was like, I had like 20 people taking pictures and asking me for them. So I couldn't really train. And so I was like, all right, you know what, guys, I'm done. So I grabbed a couple of my teammates. We walk across the street to a Publix and um, I, I, you know, go to get a couple, you know, protein shake and a salad or whatever. And. I see a boy. um, Oh, totally. You know, uh, definitely kale, of course. Why not? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I see a boy um, following his mom, probably high school age, and I could tell that he had special needs. And um, I've had a heart for people with special needs since I was 15 years old and God really did a um, a work in my life. And I really wanted to um, see if maybe he would recognize me from our, our night to shine, which is a worldwide yeah. prompt for people with special needs or sports or something. And maybe I could make him, you know, smile or something. And I walked by him and he totally didn't recognize me whatsoever. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And I kept going. <laughs> and then, um, and we, we, we go to the checkout line and they happen to walk right in front of me in the cashier line. And so uh, some of the, a lot of the people working at Publix came up to me and taking pictures. So I took, you know, 10, 15 more with them. And then finally, after the last one, um, his mom tapped me on the shoulder and she said, um, excuse me, sir, but what's your name? And I said, my name is Tim. And she, what's your last name? And I said, it's Tebow. And she instantly started crying and she grabbed her son and she turned him around and she said, son, this, this man right here, this is the man that puts on the proms for you when you get all dressed up. And you go down the red carpet and instantly he looked at me and before he never recognized me, never saw me before as what I did in sports, but he knew um, that I cared for him and we put on the proms. And so he just instantly gave me the biggest hug with tears falling down his face and his mom did too. And, uh, and then um, to make a long story short, when I was walking out of that Publix and I got into an Uber heading back to the hotel, 
I was just so frustrated walking in, but I knew walking out that, man, you know what? Even in the midst of our frustration, our disappointments, when we think the day's not going the way we want, God still has a plan for us in that day. And you know what? Even though we don't always have a plan, God does. And he had a, um, a plan for me to be inspired, meeting that family. And in that Uber drive, I was like, you know what? This is the day. That's what I want to call it. I want to call it, this is the day because God has a plan in this day. And it doesn't have to wait till tomorrow. doesn't have to wait till the next night to shine or the next church service or the next catalyst conference or whatever it is. It can be literally in every day. You can find purpose. You can find meaning. And it can start um, with you wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, however, however old you are. And um, that was just really what inspired me to really call this book this that's is the so day sweet that like makes me teary that that's how he knew you yeah it was just and he, he could care less about anything yeah. that was done in sports and i love that because ultimately what are sports it's just a game yeah that's not what matters a question we ask our guests a lot when they come on because it's usually friends like us who like who have had a little bit of a faith walk or a longer faith walk and and listening to that story, I would say that the Lord lined that up for you, right? <laughs> so what do you say, like, how do you hear God? What does it look like for you to hear God when you feel like he's directing you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, you know, I've been asked so much, like, questions like that. How do you know your purpose? How do you know your calling? How do you know all of these things? And to be honest, I'm like, I don't necessarily know, but I do know when um, when I'm doing um, certain things, especially for me working with people with special needs, I feel like I'm I'm the closest to God that I've ever been. I feel like I'm doing what God really wants me to do. When I was 15, I was um, in the jungles of the Philippines, and I met a boy with his feet on backwards, and the rest of the village looked at him with curse. And ever since that moment, I feel like, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do is fight for people that can't fight for themselves, whether that's the... The, the homeless, whether that's the orphans, whether that's the abandoned, whether that's the um, the special needs, is that's what I feel, you know, so um, inclined and called to do. And I know that when I'm doing that, I feel like, man, there's, there's something special to it. And for me, that is something that I feel like, you know, I can't, you know, tell everybody what their calling is, what their purpose is. Um, I think that's something that God places on your heart. But I also believe that your calling and your purpose usually has a, a lot to do with what your eyes have been open to. And for me, my eyes were open to people that were hurting with their, you know, um, with their feet on backwards and they were cursed and they were less than and they had all these deformities. My eyes were open to that. And so, you know what? I know God opened my eyes for a reason. And that's not to just walk away. It's not to just tell people a sad story. It's so that I can fight for them. Yeah. You know, and I think for for other people, their eyes might have been open to different things, to other needs. There's a lot of needs, but when you, your eyes are open to it, I really feel like a lot of times that's God saying, hey, you know what? I open your eyes so that you would go do something about it. Yeah. Yes, Tim. Well done, bud. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I think I had a friend recently tell me that, that you should chase the things that make you feel the most alive. I totally agree with that. I think that... Um, you know, a lot of times when we're um, totally out there and we're we're trying to serve, we're trying to make a difference, um, that does make us feel alive. And I also think that it does an amazing job of help giving us the true perspective as well. Yeah. Okay. So I have a, another thought for you, something that I'm working through that I would love your thoughts on, especially when it comes to This Is The Day, because uh, Christians are going to pick up that book, but a lot of people who aren't in their faith walk or aren't or have a lot of questions about God are going to pick it up as well. How do you speak to both of those groups at the same time? Well, um, 
I try to be the same person regardless who I'm talking to, and hopefully um, this will be encouraging for Christians and it will be encouraging for non-Christians. Obviously, um, in in the book, I share um, you know um, parts of my of my faith and my testimony in there, um, and um, I try to encourage people wherever they're at um, because I believe you know um, that my biggest calling here is to love God and love people, and I believe that's true for everyone. And so I want to be, I want to do the best job that I can at that of, of loving God and of loving people, regardless if they're Christian or not, um, you know, and, and to be able to love them where they're at and, um, you know, try to be able to um, support them uh, and love them and care for them. Um, and, you know, I believe that one of the best definitions I've heard of love is to choose the best interest of another person and act on their behalf. And I so believe in that because I believe, you know, a lot of people, we talk about love and some people will just say it's a romantic thing. Some people will say, say it's just a feeling. I believe that love is so much deeper than that. I believe that true love is that it's to choose the best interest of someone, act on their behalf. That's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's what we can do for each other every single day um, with, with going out of our way to truly invest in other people and love them. Yeah. Okay. So Tim, I'm going to have to tell you something that you're going to have to love me anyways. This is the test of your faith. Perfect. I am a Georgia bulldog. Well, you know what? No one's perfect. Uh, Hey, do you know what that's what I say about you? I say not everybody (laughs) hears the Lord right the first time. So that's okay that you went to Florida. Um, Well, I'll at least tell you congratulations on last few years because y'all are doing really good. Thank you. Tell me about your memories of Georgia, Florida weekends. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? It's like, I mean, I love it. It's, it's insane, but it's awesome. My parents' first date, um, my dad took my mom to the Florida Georgia game. Um, it was, we grew up going to that game because it's in Jacksonville where I grew up. Um, it was, um, I got to break Herschel Walker's uh, rushing record against Georgia in Jacksonville. My family's there. (laughs) Like it's just such an amazing weekend. And I, I do love that, that border war. I um, do too. It's really that fun. we have with Georgia. Yeah, it is special. Um, okay, last question that we always love to ask people when they come on the show because the show is called That Sounds Fun. We got to know, what is it you do for fun? Gosh, that's a really good question. You know, one thing that I'm really excited about is I have never been to Israel and I'm going this year. Tim, so I've been twice. Gonna be really You're going to die. You're going to love it so much. I know. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Okay, I'm listen, so excited. do you know there's and a got- tattoo place that you've got to go to? I will get the name for you and get it to you. And they, but they do all the like, they do like ancient tattoos from like Bible times. Oh, there you go. Yes. So did you come back tatted up or no, what? No, because I couldn't you get come there. Back the, with, you came back with some barbed wire on your I, arm or yeah, what? yeah, that's right. Just like Jesus. <laughs> I have the same, ta- the same barbed wire tattoo as Jesus. Um, but who, when are you going? Uh, I'm going near the end of the year. That's awesome. What are you most looking forward to? What, what is it you want to see? I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I feel like I'm supposed to say the empty tomb, but I'm excited yeah, yeah, about yeah. all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't necessarily know. I know what I'm so excited about is I'm going with like five different people who are like doctors in theology and everything. And so I know I'll be like the least smart person. There. And uh, I just will soak up all that knowledge and ask like 10,000 questions. Yes. Dude, I'm telling you, when I was there, it just, it, it, I mean, someone before I left said, it makes the Bible go from black and white to color. And that didn't make any sense to me, but literally that's what happens. You can like smell the stories and see them and see them. And co- I mean, you're just going to, you're going to love it. Well, um, I'm technically colorblind, so hopefully that helps. <gasps> oh, that'll <laughs> totally help. <laughs> that is a good fun fact. Well done. 
Um, <laughs> hey, thanks for making time for this today, Tim. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Yeah, anytime. Hey, and if there's anything we can do for you, if you want to come back after Israel, you just holler. You, you always got a spot here. Perfect. Thank you. You're thanks, so buddy. sweet. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Talk soon. Bye. All right. God bless. See ya. Oh, y'all, didn't you enjoy that conversation? He's such a good dude, such a good dude. So grateful to have him on the show. Remember, his book is called This Is The Day. Make sure you grab a copy for yourself and think about people for Christmas gifts who you think might really enjoy um, this inspiring story. It's really, really beautiful. I also was lucky enough recently to get to chat with best-selling author, just internationally known, sold millions of copies of books. Uh, And I'm friends with his daughter who has an episode already as well, Andrea Lucado. You can go back and listen to hers. But having Max Lucado on the show was such a treat. So here is my conversation that I had just a couple of weeks ago with Max Lucado. Besides being a reader of your work, the main connection we have is your daughter, Dre, who is such a good friend of mine. Are you so happy she's back in Texas closer to you? Well, of course I am. I mean, I love, and she loved living in Nashville, mm-hmm. but uh, but having her just up the highway here is pretty cool. You know, I'm in San Antonio and she's in Austin, so mm-hmm. we can get together, uh, although you'd think we'd get together more, but typically I guess that's how it goes. But I, we see her a, at least a couple of times a month. And I, I think she's, I think she's enjoying being closer to home. I think so too. Based on what she said to me, I think it's just amazing. Tell me what you thought about her book, English Lessons. I loved it. Of course, I'm, I'm partial, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping she'll write another book. I think she's a very good writer. She's careful with her words. She's a clear thinker. Uh, she, she takes it very seriously. Uh, and I'm, I'm really hoping that that she'll. Uh, you know this well, writing can be kind of vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, yes. because, you know, people are kind of voting on you yes. if by buying or not buying the book or reading it, not reading it. And, uh, and it's a bit of a scary thing. And so she took all, took all her courage and wrote the first book. And I'm hoping she'll uh, summons up the courage and do another. Me too. Do you still feel that when you write? Does it still, I mean, you're many books in and hundred million copies sold around the world. I mean, do you still feel, feel i was hoping that the vulnerability feeling went away the longer you did this <laughs> I, I feel very vulnerable annie when when i when i first uh submit the uh manuscript to the editor okay that's the scary thing for me can you relate yes um, for sure yeah that's the spot when you're not even sure if it's a book or not yeah all you've yeah, done yeah. is written by yourself for hours and hours exactly and you know you've gone you don't know if you're been going down rabbit trails or not, or if your thought thinking is clear. And so that to me is the scary thing. Now I've had the same editor uh, since 1989. You That's are a long king. Time. Yeah. Same the editor. Same and so editor. what I've learned is that if she signs off on it, then I'm feeling, okay, we'll be all yeah, right. Yeah. And she's not yeah. going to let me get out of the gates very far if the book's not very good. I mean, so you've been writing full time since 1989, or I mean, you're a pastor as well, but you've been writing books for 30 plus years. My first book uh, came out in 1985. Wow. And so I've been doing it a long time. That's maybe I, I, you probably weren't even born. In I was, I was, I was, I wasn't reading yet, but I was alive. <laughs> I wasn't reading yet, but I was on the planet. Um, and this, I mean, your most recent book, Unshakable Hope is your 40th book. 
Yeah, it's it's my fortieth. What what's called um, uh, inspirational trade book. Right. Uh, so that doesn't count like the children's books and the exactly, other genres. Exactly. Okay. And, okay. And, and I've written a few fiction books and children's books, and so. But this is kind of the meat and potatoes for me. The the uh, the book that uh, is intended to help people understand understand a scripture or a passage or a thought, uh, and it's uh, usually a you know fourteen fifteen chapter book, and uh, and so I try to do one of those a year. There have been a, two or three years I did two, but but I, I usually just do one. I mean one. So so every year you're writing a book and putting out a book. Yeah, it gets a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me how people ask me all the time how how I come up with book ideas of what I'm going to write next. What's your process? How do you is it based on what you feel your church needing or is it what's burning in you? How do you decide? Usually it's what I sense the church is needing because most of my books come out of a sermon series sure. uh, that I share with the church. Sure. Uh but like right now I'm thinking of uh like the last year, I wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. Yes. And and uh, it, it seemed to really resonate with people. And, and then just earlier this week or last week, I was thinking, you know, uh, I see, keep reading a lot about anxiety and and uh, stress and, and people's challenge and dealing with anxiety. Maybe I could do another one. And so I started jotting down some ideas. And, and so that one, if I, if that actually happens would be an example of a book that just really came out of my, just a, a possibility in the air. Nobody has said that to me uh, in terms of a conversation with a, with a parishioner or, sure. or anyone. So tell me what that looks like when you start jotting down notes. Do you keep a notepad with you or you do it on your phone or what's your, what's your system? I do it on my phone. I do. I, I, uh, through the years, you know, if you've done it so long, I've had all kinds of sure. ways. I keep, I keep some, I keep some ideas written in the flyleaf of my Bible, uh, and I, I scribble down an idea or two or an outline. And then other times, nowadays, I just use my phone. There's a little section called Notes mm-hmm. on the iPhone, and uh, uh, I'm opening it up right here, and I'm seeing two or three ideas that have surfaced. I don't know if they'll actually become. And also, here's something I was supposed to do and forgot to do. So <laughs> I know. That's how mine is, too. Like, here's my list for Target. Here's what I need to get done before I go on my trip tomorrow. Here's the next three books I want to write. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Okay, so, like, here's one. Just, Here, this is on a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're walking through hell, keep going. Mm. I thought that's pretty clever. Yeah. So I thought, okay, okay, so here's a book on perseverance. Uh, keep going. Or maybe keep on walking. How to keep on walking. And then instead of having a subtitle, have a pre-title. I don't know if that is legal or not, but but you know, have have at the top it is of when you're Max Licato. <laughs> but have it have at the top of the of the cover if you're walking through hell, and then have as your big letters, keep on walking. So yeah. that's really your book title. Yeah. But you know, so so ideas like that bubble up. And uh most of them don't have a long shelf life mm-hmm. because things seem to feel good at first, but if it if it keeps being a good idea, uh, or if I bounce it off uh, some, I, I run things past my wife, and she gives me a lot of roll dimes. So mm-hmm. That's a crazy idea. Yeah, yeah. So, but but every so often one sticks, and uh, and and I know I've got something I can work with. Once or twice a year, you hope one sticks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so you're the discipline of writing for you. I mean, it must be every you must be writing every day or every like working day. I'm working every week writing every week. Some days I don't write 
Uh, but every week I'm, I'm working on, on a project. Most of my life is, is it revolves around church and, and writing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if you've answered this a million times, but when you were a child, did you want to be an author? Was this kind of the direction you thought you would go? No, uh, uh, but I've always loved books. What's kind of funny, uh, Annie, in my story is that I, I grew up in a West Texas, small West Texas town. Every bit as prototypical as people think of when they think yep. of West Texas. Friday Night Lights. <laughs> exactly. Well, just 30 minutes away was Odessa Permian okay. for Friday Night Lights. So I grew up in that environment. Uh, football and oil and cowboys. Yeah. And and my my dad worked for Exxon, so we were in the oil business. I uh, played football and uh, I wore boots and I tried to be a cowboy. I wasn't a good one. But then I also had this part of me that was really into literature. And and none of my buddies would go to the library. All the guys I hung out with didn't care anything about books. But I had a fascination with books. And so it's a curious thing, and I, I don't quite know how to explain it. But so, I, but I never, never said I want to be a writer. But I've always been a reader. Yes. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed books through the years, and a variety of books. And and so uh, I, I, I kind of got into writing uh, when, as a, I got into ministry uh, in my mid twenties. And the church, the first church that gave me a job. Uh, had a weekly newsletter mm-hmm. that went out to mm-hmm. the parishioners and uh, all the ministers on staff, there were only three ministers on staff. We each would write an article for that uh, newsletter. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a weekly newsletter. And so every week I had to write a short article. And that's when I first uh, began realizing this is fun. Mm-hmm. I, I like to, I like, I like taking ideas, trying to put them on paper in a way that works. And so I think all those years of reading books began to pay off uh, because I, I, I liked, I, I said, oh, I could, maybe I could do this myself. Do you know what's funny is my best friend just texted me this week and sent me a picture and she said, I found a copy of your first book and it is a journal, like a daily email. We emailed back to the U.S. from a mission trip in Costa Rica. Oh, and really? I just wrote up a, yeah, I just wrote up a story every day from what yeah. we had done and we emailed it home. And when we got home, someone had printed them all out for us and gave each member of the team a printed version of every story from that day. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's when I started realizing I loved telling stories Mm. was when I was a high schooler typing an email back to the United States from a mission trip in Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. I don't seem to run into an author who thought when they were four years old, I'm going to write books. It just always seems to be like God kind of goes a roundabout way of getting us in the storytelling profession. I think you're right. I do. Uh, I, I get asked, I bet you'd get asked a lot is from people is, uh, do you think I could write a book? Mm-hmm. They, they say, do you think I could write a book? And, and what I tell people, I, I think every person has a book in them. Uh, there's a story, a life story, or maybe a certain slant on, on something that you could bring. Uh, I don't think very many of us are called to write books you know, to write right. book after book after book. I think God's called you to do that. I think you're a great writer and you bring such a joy to the people who read. And 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 uh, yet it, it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Yes. Uh, uh, to write and write and write. So for those of us who feel like this is our call or our craft, uh, that's a different type of writing. Uh, 
I just got off the phone earlier today with somebody who's writing a book and they'll probably self-publish it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're telling their story of growing up as an orphan, the uniqueness of being adopted and just kind of, yeah, I said, you know what? Hundreds of people will love that story. Maybe thousands of people and maybe even tens of thousands. But if you can write a book and a hundred people read it or 150, you've done a good thing. That's you've right. done a good thing that's right. because you've helped help some people. And that's, you know, I, I have said to women before, if you have 30 people following you on Twitter, that is far more than you could actually disciple in your real life. Isn't that a point? So yeah. you're doing it. Yeah. You know? And so, so yeah, 150 people reading your work is so beautiful because yeah. you're on that many shelves and they really, it really matters. You know, and also uh, when people read a book, I think that they receive you at an intimate level that may be uh, unparalleled because it's a very quiet. Think about the whole setting of of reading. If I read your book, then what I do is I go into a a room, I I find a corner, I find a chair, I find a couch, I turn on the light, I tell the dog to be quiet. Tell my kids to be quiet. Yeah, yeah I create a moment. I create sure. a space. Yep. And 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 when when I open Annie's book, I'm saying, Annie, come into the space with me. And and it's very tender. It's very quiet. Oftentimes for people, it's early in the morning or late at night. Uh, even if it's on an airplane, you know, you you're kind of blocking the rest of the world out mm-hmm. so you can read that book. And so I I think it's a a, a poignant uh, medium of communication that doesn't happen when you're speaking publicly. It may happen if you're having a heart to heart conversation with somebody, but there's this other element, the defense is down. You know, if you and I sit down over a cup of coffee and uh, I know that you're going to talk and you know that I'm going to talk while the other is talking, there tends to be a formulation of how, what I'm going to say in response, Right. And mm-hmm. so as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to, well, I want to be sure and say this, but if you're listen, if you're just listening to somebody, or in our case, if you're just reading a book, then you're not messing with a response. You're saying, okay, I'm just going to receive, I'm just going to mm-hmm. receive, I'm just mm-hmm. going to receive. So it's a, it's a tender uh, medium. M- many of the people who write me say, can I, can I call you Max? We've never met, but can I call you Max? Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because we, we've had, some tender moments together. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with making it happen except writing the book. Right. But they have they have these moments in which the Lord used a, a chapter or a story to go deep in a place. And because they're def- they weren't trying to formulate a response, and the space was created, then uh, it was it was a very uh, tender energy. I have never thought about that. That when you're reading, you're really not trying to f- to formulate a response. You're not trying to think what you would say back. So you're just receiving. You're just receiving. Yeah. That is it's a, amazing. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. 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 It's a really beautiful thought. It, it does feel like such an, um, when people say to me, I feel like we're already friends. Yeah. My answer is always me too. I, <laughs> like I, I genuinely, when I am writing, I think of them. Uh, when you have certain books, do you think of certain people when you're like, if I'm going to write this, I know it's for this person or. I try to write for since my sermons, since my books come out of sermons, mm-hmm. then, then I've essentially 
uh, been thinking about our parishioners in our yeah. church. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess the answer would be, yeah, I yeah. do. So tell me what it is like to lead a local church and lead a global church in so many ways. I mean, the, the, it sounds like from what you're saying that the trick is think of the local church and the global church will feel led. I love that. That's a great way of saying it. My commitment has always been to try to be a pastor first and a writer second. Mm. And so <clears throat> I, I try to put my messages together uh, for the church based on what the church needs to hear, as opposed to writing a book for a global church and then my my local church listens in. I can't say I've always done that really well because it's hard to not be thinking about uh you know, the, the, the bigger audience, but, but being a pastor though has kept helped me. I think it helps me keep my head on my shoulders. Uh, it's a place where I'm not known as an author and just the preacher, uh, up until three weeks ago, Annie, I, I was still running the staff and, and dealing with budgets and all of that. But three weeks ago, I semi-retired. You so did. I'm very happy today. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's a big deal. We've been working uh, toward it for over a year, but it's official. And uh, now I, uh, I'm, I'm at an office still. I keep an office here at the church, uh, but I preach about 20 times a year mm-hmm. and I'm available if they need me. But otherwise, you know, then I'm not, I was blessed by the church leadership to, to us. Uh, I've been here 30 years, at this church and, and I, I just felt like it was time for some young blood. Uh, and so uh, we've got, got the succession plan in place. And, uh, I think it's working. I do. Yeah. Now, and, and we can't pretend like like our re- listeners aren't thinking of some of the same stuff I'm thinking of about nationwide. We aren't seeing a lot of pastors leave well, and we aren't seeing them last for 30 years. So I would love for us to talk about, and and as an Annie, as a, I'm a woman who's in leadership at my church too. And I, I want to be a part of this for a long time. But what I keep seeing in my, even in my peers who are in their late thirties and early forties is they keep getting taken out of the game, mostly by their own bad decisions or by just pure exhaustion. What, how do we do this long-term? How have you, how have you weathered this? Well, that's an acute observation really is. And Probably about 20 years ago, uh, I was talking with a, a guy named Michael Silva. He's a he's an evangelist and does a lot of work in Central and South America. And uh, he showed me in the flyleaf of his Bible, uh, he had been told by a friend of his, make a list of all the pastors who depart uh, the ministry because of moral failure. And, uh, and every time you hear one, write their name down and not in a bad way, not in a bad way, but as a motivation to stay alert, yeah. stay vigilant. Yeah. And uh, he showed me that list. I didn't read the names. I don't want to, but it took up the whole flight for the right. Bible. Uh, of, of, you know, and it is, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, people who have served so well for so many years and because they make some, some decisions that we could all make if we're not careful, oh, or at least truth. I could make. Me too. Careful. Yeah, it gets. I'm like you. I get a little bit sad. I start thinking of friends, and coworkers, and colleagues, and they did not finish well, and uh, they're going to heaven for sure. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, so I, I think a couple of things. One is uh, be sure and, and build those boundaries. You know, uh, 
moral failure is the failure that trips most pastors up, especially uh, male pastors, uh, but not just male pastors. And so you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta put in those uh, boundaries. Uh, for me, I, I don't have anything, uh, any type of smartphone or, or device that doesn't have filters on it. Wow, Annie, I'm, I wish I could say that at the age of sixty, almost sixty-four, that I no longer have the temptation of looking uh, where I shouldn't look, but I can't say that. Sure. So I've got to have every every possible filter. Same. Uh, when I check into a hotel, I'll check into a hotel tonight uh, in Dallas, and and if they have, you know, more more and more TVs have taken the adult movies out of their mm-hmm. hotels, which is great. But if they don't, I call right down to the desk and I say, can you block this in my room? I, I just, I don't want to be near it. I, I don't trust myself. Yep. And uh, and so I just, I think that there's, I've got to watch my drinking. I've had a drinking problem uh, my whole life. Uh, and I, I'm not, I drink a glass of wine or two. But if I'm not careful, uh, especially if I'm by myself, I'll have four or five. I'll look up and, Dad, come I drink you know, that whole bottle That's if i'm right. not careful annie I, I i do things that that are just so stupid and so it's it's when it's in those vulnerable situations when i'm by myself traveling or if i'm uh not, not walking or you know my behavior that i can do some some really stupid things and my friend jonathan Merritt and i just were talking the other day and we said there is no darker place than a hotel room by yourself after a speaking event wow it can get so dark in there, right? It I mean, does. you can just, you can eat things you don't want to eat. You can drink what you don't want to drink and you can watch what you don't want to watch because you're tired and and no one knows. No one knows. There's no accountability. Sometimes also you're feeling a little puffy. You mm-hmm. think I must be pretty good because all those people listen to me. Yes. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're a sitting duck. For <laughs> That's exactly right. People always laugh because I never travel by myself. And they're always like, Annie rolls deep and Annie always brings a friend. And I'm like, yeah, I bring a friend because I know me. <laughs> like, I know how dark it can get. And I don't like, I don't like being in places totally by myself. I just don't, because here, my, my kind of dream, Max, is that in, you know, 50, 70 years, I'm okay if people don't talk about how great I was, but I want them to say I finished. Yeah, I love that. You know, like, yeah. I don't care about how good I am, but I really yeah. want to finish. I don't want to. Ex- I don't want to get taken out of this game before the fourth quarter finishes. Yeah, yeah. And so, tell me how you take care of like your body in order yeah. to run this kind of pace, where you're doing pastoring, family man, friend, and an author full time, and traveling and speaking. Yeah, that that's a great question because that's kind of the other coin, other side of the coin. So you you build up the boundaries, right? And you got to be careful. And uh, your goal is just to not do something stupid. That's a right. pretty good <laughs> right. ambition. And then and then you got to take care of yourself. And two or three things that work for me, Annie, that may not work for everybody, but I, I, I've always had a hobby. I have. I've always been pretty insistent on having a hobby. I've got into biking through the years. I've gotten into golfing. Uh, at one time, I was a pretty serious runner. Uh, I, so I like having a hobby. And, and the reason I... I have a hobby is because when I was 38 or 39, I, I got, I developed an insomnia as a result of uh, stressing out, having too many things to work on. 
Yeah. And so the doctor, I went to the doctor and I said, I, I told him, I'm just not sleeping, man. It's, some nights it's not at all. And some nights it's just two or three hours. And so he and I had a good talk. He's a dear friend. And he said, what do you do to, to uh, you know, just kind of relax? And I said, I don't have anything. Well, he looked at me like I was sort of He said, you got to have something. And he said, here's your, here's your prescription. Uh, develop a hobby that you can pour yourself into, but it has no consequences. Because oh, wow. everything we do in ministry has consequences. Yes. You know, the, the teaching, seminar, teaching a seminar has consequences. Writing a book has consequences. And so what can I do that I can pour equal energy into? Uh, you know, if I play a great round of golf or if I, I really stink, it's no consequences. Nobody right. cares. Right. Truth is, my wife doesn't want to know. I want to talk to her about it. She doesn't even <laughs> want to know what I do. And so that's a good thing for me. And so I get a little concerned if I meet a minister who was like I was, uh, Mr. High and Holy, I don't have time to relax. Hey, you're just, you're a ticking time bomb. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, so get, get yourself an outlet. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, uh, I don't do things in the evening. I do one evening a week for meetings. Mm -hmm. And then we have a neighborhood Bible study. And so five out of my seven evenings, I'm home. By six, really, and that's my time with that's my time with my wife. Yeah, and, uh, used to be my time with my kids. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you something else. And it's really your guys, your listeners are not going to like this. <laughs> I don't do super early mornings. Oh, I love I, it. A good friend called me just last week, and he said, "Hey, our men uh, breakfast uh, is next week. We just had a cancellation. Uh, could you speak at six thirty a.m.?" And this is a good friend, Annie. And I said, Ed. I don't do that. Yeah, I just don't do it. If yeah. I if if you give me a six thirty a.m. appointment, I won't sleep the night before. That's just the way I am. Now some guys they're up by four and they're jogged by five. Uh -huh, <laughs> uh -huh. I don't do it. That's I don't not do my it. Life, me so either. through the years I've learned <laughs> exactly. So figure your boundaries out and just stick with. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons what you're saying about cheer, uh, playing golf. I think that's one of the reasons I love sports and watching sports is because I can give my full anniness to it. And it literally doesn't matter at all. Like, that's a great, like me that's cheering great. or not cheering does not affect the game, but it sure feels good to release it. But I can't, yeah. I have nothing on the line where you're right. It does feel like, and I'm sure parent, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure parents feel this way too. But it feels like every move I make in my job ha matters. Yeah. And has weight. Yeah. And so it is really nice when, when you're calling and everyone's calling, that is true, but, but I feel it that, that every move of my calling has weight. I can cheer for the Georgia Bulldogs and it does not matter. There you go. <laughs> what sports do you like? So soccer is my favorite one. That's what I watch the most is soccer and then American football. Those are the two, but I really, I mean, you can pretty much sit me down in front of any sporting activity and I'm going to really enjoy it. Like I, I, I really love watching sports. I probably don't love rugby cause I don't understand, <laughs> but all the rest of them, basketball, baseball, um, and, and especially being, if I'm with someone who really loves the sport and will wants to talk to me about it while we're watching, that's the best. So if, if I'm with a rugby person, I love it. Do you play sports? I played soccer growing up and played a little bit of basketball, but only because I went to a tiny private school where I got to try out for things where I wouldn't yeah. have in a normal school. Yeah. But yeah, I, play, I played soccer most of my life. So I loved it. What a great sport. So Oh, it's so fun. That's um, fun. 
Okay, let's talk about, can we talk about Unshakable Hope for a couple of minutes? Sure. I just would love that. I think that it's such a, I mean, it feels like it dovetails so beautifully with this perseverance conversation because I really do think, um, and one of the things, uh, your the subtitle to the book is Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. I think one of my concerns for believers is that we don't believe God is actually who he says he is. And so we, we have a hard time when things, when we get disappointed or when things don't go the way we want them to, it feels very personal because we've actually just forgotten who God is. And, and I feel like that's maybe kind of what unshakable hope is talking about is, is how do we get this? Uh, how do we get hope that's unshakable is the question, Max, because I'm, I sometimes get shaken. Yeah. And, and it's one thing to say, Hey, you should have some hope. It's something else to say, here's a, here's a way to find hope. Right. Right. And what I wanted to do in the book is uh, is is talk to people who who don't really need to be convinced that they need hope. I, mean, I think well, all of us uh, understand that. But where do you find it? And 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 practically speaking, uh, how do you uncover it? Yes. Uh, what I've done a lot in my life personally is I've found a lot of strength in trusting the promises of God, like you said, believing that God is who He says He is, uh, and and. And so I thought, this is a good idea. I want to I want to help our church and help the readers to have a practical way to begin to have a more hope-filled life. And uh, so what I did is I began advancing the cause of trusting the promises of God. There's 7,000 plus promises in the Bible, so there's no way I could write a book of 7,000 chapters. Sure. So I thought, I'm going to take the 12 or 13 Promises that have meant a lot to me and that, and that kind of cross the spectrum of promises in the yeah, Bible yeah. and see if I can model uh, how to how to build the life on the promises of God. And so that's what I did. And I just took these promises that, that have meant a lot to me, uh, like Psalm 30, verse 6. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've told myself and told somebody, weeping may last for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Yes. I, I, it's just a go-to promise. Yep. Romans 8, 28 is for all of us, I think. You know, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, you know, you've got these promises that we can stand on in a difficult, difficult time. Uh, rather than stand on our pain or our, our problems, why don't we stand on this promise? Mm-hmm. And so that's what this book is about. It's an it's example of here's 13 go-to promises you can use. But really the big idea, get your own promises, you know, yeah. find them, yeah. put them to use. So what does that really look like on like a Tuesday? What does that really look like to say, because if someone's heartbroken and they, you know, they've lost something that really mattered to them and their faith and their hope feels really shaken What's it practically look like to really lean on a promise versus just going, okay, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning? Great question. Great question. The little outline that I, I use in my own life and I share with others is ponder, proclaim, and pray. I you'll love you'll it. take this promise. So so you're in that you're in the depths of sadness. Uh, maybe you're just just brokenhearted. I had a fellow over for dinner the other night who's our next door neighbor. He buried his wife. Uh, Early uh, this summer, he's 68, she was 70, and he just he just can't get past it. He's just so brokenhearted. Such a good man. He kept saying, I thought I would go first. I never mm. thought she would. It's, it's a reality he's dealing with. 
And so uh, what I would, what I encourage him, what I encourage somebody in that situation to do is take this promise. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now think about that. Ponder that. So what God is saying to me is, it's okay to weep. It's okay. Weeping comes. It's, I'm, I'm in that nighttime right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm confident that joy is going to come. I could hear it in his voice. He, you know, he said, I don't know if I'll ever be able to you know, laugh again. I just don't know if I'll ever be able to uh, get on with life. And that's a reality to him. He really wonders, will this ever pass? Yeah. And and that promise in Psalm 30, so, so ponder that, I would say to ponder that. Instead of giving in to the fear that it won't pass, just ponder it. And then proclaim it. I think there's something about saying things out loud yep. that, that I don't know why it matters, but it just matters. Mm-hmm. You know, to, mm-hmm. to wake up in the morning and say, you know, all things work together for good. I'm going to believe that today. And saying it out loud is just good for me. Uh, it's part of worship. It's, it's why we worship out loud. And then lastly, pray it. Uh, put the Lord in remembrance of, of what he said. Uh, not that he needs to be reminded, but, but we need to be reminded. You know, Lord, you said uh, weeping last year than that, but I believe joy is going to come. What we're doing in those kinds of uh, thought exercises, uh, Andy, is we're moving away from despair and moving toward hope. We're, we're talking ourselves off the ledge. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're giving ourselves some practical decisions and steps that we can take to move forward and, and uh, begin the healing process. There is something so powerful because what you are, what you, neither you or I want to do for any of our friends is feed them like, yeah, just fake it till you make it because that's not it. But they're real, what you're saying, and I think is true, is there really is the more you speak something, the more your heart believes it and it shifts something. I mean, the the tongue has the power of life and death is what God said. And so it just is, it seems to be shifting something. It does. It does. If I sit here, you know, if I were to sit and say, life is terrible, life is terrible, life is terrible. If I say that about 20 times, guess what? Life feels terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I say, you know, God, you're in control. You're in control. I trust you. And, and I say that, then I begin to feel my spirit lift. Mm-hmm. I think for most humans, uh, anxiety and discouragement is the default emotion. We have to talk ourselves away from that. Uh, and, you know, even the Apostle Paul says, you know, I have to meditate. He tells us, meditate on that which is good. So we have to think about those things that are good. It's a, it's a deliberate decision to do that. Right, because there is a new age version of this that kind of says, speak into existence what you want. Yeah. Where does the where does the gospel tell the truth of that that idea that would tell us that hope actually comes from continue to say what you want until you have it? You know, like that's the secret to life is speaking into the universe. But there's that what would you say is the actual like gospel truth of that? I I would say uh, the passage in Hebrews six nineteen. That says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. Our high priest who is in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And so the idea there is, is that our high priest is is in the heavens. We anchor to him. Yeah. We anchor our hope to 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 yeah. not to our ability to conjure up an emotion, but we're believing that because there is an empty tomb mm-hmm. uh, in in ancient Israel. Uh, and nobody could ever uh, prove that that tomb was not populated with the cadaver of Christ. Mm. 
we believe that he rose from the dead. And we believe then that, uh, the, that when Peter stood up and preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, uh, that, that, that the movement of Christ could have died a stillborn death if somebody could have produced that cadaver. Mm. And when Peter said, as you men, yourse- as you yourselves know, Jesus Christ attested to you by a variety of mirac- miracles and signs and wonders. And somebody raised their hand and said, we didn't see any miracles. We didn't see any signs. I mean, it, it could have shut everything down right there. And so we have come to our faith because we believe that there's an empty tomb and that there is a living Christ. And so that's the difference between uh, somebody just trying to talk themselves into a better way of feeling and anchoring their hope to a living Jesus. There's two different things, two different things. And, and so I, 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 I don't want to leave the impression that we're just giving ourselves uh, pep rallies, personal pep rallies. Right. I've done that before. I used to pedal books door to door and they taught me how to stay pumped up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm not talking about that. Yeah. You know, that's one of the funny things about the gifting that goes along with being ter- being able to tell stories is we can tell stories that make people interested in the thing we're talking about. And so I do sometimes have to balance in my heart. Are you selling Jesus? Or are you telling about Jesus? Because you don't have mm. to sell it. And it's my issue because I can, I can tell a story in a way that's selling the thing, and I don't want to. The Holy Spirit does all the work. I just get to be there for it, right? There you go. But I have to be careful. My pastor the other day was I had texted him something that was going on, and he texted back this prayer, and there were a couple of um, spelling errors in it that it had just autocorrected wrong. And then the next thing he said is he was like, "You know what? Jesus is on the throne interceding." Whatever he said, <laughs> and I thought that is such a, I don't you know that's the truth of the Jesus that we have is what you were just saying is that is that he is he is our high priest and so and he's always interceding for us so when we feel something going on that feels off or we're disappointed and we need hope we can say okay Jesus what are you praying like what is what are you seeing here that you're interceding for and and it straightens out my mind usually. Absolutely. So how do you say, how do you tell people to find the right promise for what they are going through? I mean, you know, luckily we have Google now, but you know, I think about flipping to the back of my Bible and looking up the promises that are listed there. But how, how do you find, I mean, the 13 in the book, but then you said there's 7,000 total. Isn't that amazing? That is unbelievable. Uh, but you're right though. It's amazing. And it tells me that God really wants us to, to use these promises and, and put them to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, we can do that in a variety of ways. You know, Google is one of the best options. But, you know, fortunately, there's some great books. And I'm not talking about mine. But there's some, some books that are just promises of God. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and and you can purchase a book on the promises of God. I've got a couple of them. I do too. And you just, it, they're organized according to theme. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not really teaching books. They're just scriptures that are organized according to promises and those are wonderful tools. And many, many Bibles in the back of the Bible will have something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Beth Moore's, her praying, praying God's word, her little book. It's like, you need to pray about something. Here's exactly what scripture says. Well, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to go for it. And I, you know, one of the things that I've been talking, we've been talking here at Crosspoint about a good bit, just in conversations has been, we, you know, we can say scripture back to God because he already said he would keep that promise. Like everything he's written, he's the one who promised it. We didn't say, we didn't make it up. He's made the promise. We sang a song last Sunday where we said, 
um, peace is the promise you keep. Mm. And we got to say to the people like, God promised you peace. Mm. Just go with it. He yeah. promised it. Yep. Yep. You said <laughs> you, you know? would do this. And he keeps every promise. It is great. Thank you for doing this. Okay, Annie. Hey, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell Andrea hello, okay? Do, please do. Thanks All so right. much. We appreciate okay. it. Okay, goodbye. Okay, bye. So nice of Max to be on the show. Again, his new book is titled Unshakable Hope, Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. And it seems like it's such a helpful resource to have. So I hope you'll grab his and Tim Tebow's new books. Uh, what a two for a kind of Monday, you guys. Two great dudes on the show. I can't call Max Licato a dude. Uh, two great men on the show today. <laughs> I'm so, so grateful that they were able to join us. Make sure you tell them both on the internet how much you love this conversation. And I think there's a lot more for Tim and I to discuss. So you guys need to just hound him to come back on and have his own episode when he's got some more time for us because we really just barely got into our Georgia, Florida stuff. So you guys make sure you tell Tim and Max both thanks for being on the show and how much we appreciated it and how much we gained from their conversations. Hey, if you need anything from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs all across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you may need me, Annie F. Downs. Hey, and if I can do anything for you, just reach out. I would love to hear from you. So if you think you have some friends who might enjoy this conversation, the coolest thing you can do for our show is share it with people who aren't already listening. So go ahead and do that. Tell somebody that Tim Tebow and Max Licato are in one conversation. It's like the three of us just sitting at one table having a quick catch up. So make sure you share this with any of your buddies that you think might enjoy hearing this show. And listen, go out and do something that sounds fun to you today. And I will see you back here on Thursday. Y'all have a great week. Happy Monday.